0: Welcome to episode three of the Creator Inside podcast.
1: Today, we're joined by Julian Rojas-Milan, a senior technical artist and mathematician with seven years of experience in real-time applications, focused on creating shaders and tools for artists to improve their pipeline with special focus in Unreal Engine, using both the capabilities that the engine offers, as well as Houdini, Substance Suite, and Maya. Julian was involved in a number of projects focusing on asset creation for video games, and he then shifted to being a full-time technical artist for both video games and VR experiences. As a mathematician with a background in computer graphics and statistics, he is working at the forefront of using machine learning and procedural methods in video game production. Welcome, Julian.
2: Hi, uh, nice to uh, to meet you. Thanks for having me here. And hopefully, I can help with the podcast and with the information.
0: Welcome, Julian. So today, we'd like to explore the video games industry and how production has changed over the time that you've been working as a technical artist and where you see it going in the near future. We certainly see that demand for video games is increasing rapidly, especially during this current crisis. But we're interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, So for example, the first question uh, is, where do you think that your industry is heading
2: towards to? I think that it's not necessarily that it's heading right now. We are in the midst of what is supposed to be the future of content production and streamlining. Uh, when I started working heavily on games back, uh, I come from Venezuela. Uh, so back then there was a, a couple of, let's say in comparison to where I live now, which is France, there are more than a few constraints uh, being in a country where the, the video game industry is not as developed and there are not as much as opportunities. So back in retrospective, uh I can see how, when I started in 2012, Substance Designer was kind of being introduced for a lot, for a few, well, more than a few, but definitely not the majority of people were using Substance Designer, and it was being introduced by a, by a few frontliners, let's say, like early adopters of the technology. Uh, so now, eight years after, Substance Designer is basically the backbone of of the asset creation process, not only for texture, but even for terrain creation. So I have witnesses that transformation uh, uh, in the industry coming from an indie background. I have a background of creating indie titles and VR titles that have heavily focused on training and simulation. And then in a AAA uh, studio, even though I haven't being in a big, big, big uh, studio, I think that the the pipeline is very much the same. Using Substance Designer, something similar is happening with Houdini at the moment. Like from four years uh, in the past, uh, Houdini started to kind of creeping with its its technology into video games because Houdini is still known, but it was initially created as a BFX, a very free BFX focus, not even animation, not even character animation or modeling packages. It was very heavy BFX focus, that is, fire simulation particles, uh, collisions, and rigid bodies and stuff like that. But the node graph based interface and architecture actually make it kind of a subsystem designer of sorts for 3D in some, in various, in various ways. So we are in the midst of that transformation that, for me, started to happen with Substance Designer back in 2012. So it will be, like, in five years from now, we will have pipelines that will increase productivity and we will strain, streamline um, asset creation, not only now for texture, but for geometry. And that right. will empower... Exactly, and that will empower... Uh, uh, creators that seems like a obvious thing to say especially if you are into the video game industry i think that this podcast is not necessarily to, uh, aimed towards person that uh person that have uh, actual experience in video games but even inside the industry there are people that are not catching up to the to some sort of the of, of what is supposed to be the pipeline at the moment, especially with Substance Designer and with the introduction of Houdini, in in regard of, of, of asset creation. So, from let's say that to a state of the obvious to some degree in terms of the industry, we are aiming right now to uh, a streamlining of the pipeline using Houdini, like uh, like since a few years ago we started to streamline the pipeline of texture creation with Substance Designer. Uh, The next step would be to have assistance. Uh, not only that you have a group a a, a package, a DCC, like a DCC is a digital content uh, creation package, Uh, like for example, Substance Designer or Houdini, like I have been talking, those package, what they do have is an immensely and very in-depth number of tools that you can use in your in your favor, but we need to start using assistance, like now with machine learning and other kind of geometry and uh, image processing capabilities. We will need have uh, like a, basically what is a robot that will assist in our creation, not only for to guide the creation itself, but to iterate, because the important part here is that the streamlining goes into iteration. Like if you have, uh, what Susan Designer does is not only that give you the utilities and notes to create the stuff, but that you, with a simple button uh, and changing the seat, the random seat of whatever graph you made, you are creating a new iteration of the same material with the same properties until you find one that actually your art director likes, or you find two or three variation that that you need in your game so yeah yeah
0: so i guess it seems like from what you've been talking about that the industry is being driven by the tools available to 3d designers and do you think that is the case and if yes uh,
2: do you see a lot of innovation
0: in the production pipelines
2: i think i think that i John Lasseter from Pixar used to say that uh, art inspired technology and technology drives art. And it's a constant cycle of I need this uh, from artists and I made this from tools and programmers and uh, researchers. And it is a constant feedback loop and that's just natural since the computer graphics started let's say in the 60s, but more, moreover in the 80s when they started to kick off with the introduction of personal computing. Um, I think that the answer is yes, there is a lot of, of what I call research and innovation in different levels. Like for me as a, let's say independent creator, you, uh, having a suite like Houdini lets me research and innovate in micro levels. Like for this game, I have this tool, so I can test a lot of my ideas quickly. And for companies like BFX companies, which is where Houdini actually have the, more, the most history, you, you can use Houdini and your programmers to do research, more uh, specialized, um, let's say, academy, academy-focused academy research. And then you have people that are behind the tools, uh, Creating the technology that is included in things like Substance Designer and Houdini, or creating just uh, libraries in GitHub repositories for, for people to, to to share. So it it is research and it is innovation, but you need to know how it actually scales. And all of that is research and innovation, and all of that have a place in game creation. I think that is important to realize how the scale impacts the industry and how important it is that you empower creators and that also you do heavy research or academic research to put out their knowledge that can be useful in the near or long-term future. Yeah, yeah, we've we've
1: actually seen how a lot of this uh, scale is one of the, the very difficult things in this industry, as one of the kind of the key challenges is as expectations grow, as kind of demand grows as well, uh, the scale required for all these different things is just increasing and increasing exponentially. So uh, it'd be good if you could potentially touch on on how people are addressing that challenge and also maybe the other challenges that you see kind of cropping up in the industry.
2: Yeah, I think that definitely uh, one of the best examples, even though it's not necessarily related to uh, the subject, but is definitely related to a scale is Call of Duty Mobile. Uh, I started uh, working, um, playing Call of Duty back in 2003, where it was a PC only uh, PC only title, and then in 2007, Call of Duty Modern Warfare came to Basically, take by storm the industry and shift some of the conceptions. And it was a still a uh, PC, but console only. That it was geared to have this very uh, is is. It is a still a wide audience. It was a, a wide audience them of what we call gamers, the people that dedicate a lot of time of of its hobby or even if now it's livelihood to to gaming. But now we have. Call of Duty uh, Mobile, which is a game that looks a huge. Uh, Call of Duty Mobile actually looks better than Modern Warfare in 2007, because we have the hardware to do that and the technology in terms of software and research, and it's broadening the the, the audience. Like it's not only gamers that uh, that are. Uh, I actually, I would say I don't know the data, but I will go to say that mostly people that. Place mobile Call of Duty are not what we consider uh, gamers. That's not the scale of the of the game. So yeah, the scales are getting wider in different directions. The other thing being that now we have games or people want games where they can spend a lot of their time. Basically, one thing that you need to to start introducing to the to the audiences is this idea that the new social networks. Are not Facebook. Facebook won't disappear, uh, but now you have like uh, not only Fortnite is the new uh, social network that we are cre- that we are uh, using, but Animal Crossing, uh, New Horizon is basically a new Facebook because we have the hardware. The hardware is cheap enough, is wide enough in terms of uh, audience uh, uh, audience acceptance that you can create a game that can reach as many people with the same goals as facebook or twitter or instagrams and all those all those uh, it's not like i'm not proclaiming that facebook will disappear facebook has his own now it has its own audience and it has a function very uh, definitive function that can or is mandated by the time in which facebook was created more than 10 years ago so it's about the scale in every, in every way and in every direction and in every put like in, in every sense of the word. I work here with a, in, in France in Paris with a with a company called Darewise, which is basically a startup that brought some heavy hitters from Half-Life series and Halo to a start and continue with that idea. We deliver a close alpha of a game called Life Beyond. And the thing is that Life Beyond is supposed to be, or it is an open world game, an open world with a three by three kilometer, now for now, it's supposed to be bigger, a three by three kilometer wide uh, space that needs to be populated and needs to have a space and I need to be optimized. And we were in the, in the peak, when I was in the company, the peak of employees were like, in the art team were like 35 people. So how do you do that with, uh, when you are not trying to compete with Ubisoft, but you need to compare yourself when you see Ghost Recon or Far Cry. Uh, you are basically comparing to a 300, at least 300, 400 uh, teams strong of people. Uh, so that's where the tools come in. Like, we and I work in empowering our artists using Houdini for terrain creation. Um, For scattering, like for distributing a lot of stuff, we had the help of a very talented, of a very talented tech artist that came and helped us in creating a pipeline that I wasn't able to create because of circumstances. Like I needed to be on the fire front, on the firefighting front all the time, fixing bugs. So I needed someone that could uh, focus on creating the actual pipeline while I was helping directly, side by side, my artist. And even then, people like Ubisoft, because we need to actually acknowledge that the, in terms of gaming of gaming production, Ubisoft Paris was the first company that started to adopt Houdini for gaming, when Houdini for gaming wasn't a thing. So even then, when you have 300, 400 uh, people strong team for a team, you are start using Houdini because even in those already big games, Scale is getting bigger because you need more detail. You need more. uh, It's not only that you have four by four wide uh, spaces, that now it has capes, and now you can uh, go scuba diving. So that means that you are actually increasing the playable area. And now you are flying, and you have cities full of people inside those uh, spaces. So that's what you see, substance and Houdini just for mentioning two of the biggest tools uh, creeping in, in terms of helping small people, small teams, I mean, uh, to increase and to be like a a scale-up tool in terms of how games are scaling. And this is the important thing. When you scale up uh, games, like I have been talking about, the important thing is that you need to iterate more. It's about iteration. Like you don't come with a, a good idea right off the bat. Like even like the idea is that you have a tool that lets you iterate the world you are creating, the levels you are creating, the asset you are creating in a way that is faster because uh, nothing it's nothing good that you have a, a game that is with a space or playable area of four by four kilometers if you see this boring or if yeah. not pleasurable enough, like you 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 find yourself stuck all the time and that needs to be iterated. And the important part is that it's not only in terms of the amount of assets or the scale of the assets, but about the time that you need to invest, to iterate, to create those assets. And that's where these kind of tools come in. And they have been coming, like I, have been, uh, like I told, in terms of Substance and now with Houdini. I, again, I, I, I don't want to appear like a salesman. I'm just working. I'm just trying to point at what examples, exact examples, and the tools that I use. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So talking about iteration and um, the iteration as a trend in the pipeline, do you think there are some areas of opportunity in the current pipelines and generally in your industry?
2: Definitely. Uh, One thing that you need to, like, people need to understand that want to introduce uh, into the gaming uh, industry is that there is you can have a solution that one size fits all, but you as a creator you will always want something like you, you uh, like fits even more to your solution. So the pipeline that Ubisoft has to create uh, bigger spaces is not the one that there was needed at the time, especially because there is a, a difference in number of employees. And there is a difference in number of uh, uh, computers that we can let process in the terrain because those, that does take time. And when you, you hit a boot process, button, processes, it takes like two days or, or, or more to actually process to have a an end an and end product so the pipeline of course will increase in ubisoft so you need you cannot copy exactly what ubisoft did because you will need more like you are probably over killing the thing so you need to take that solution and make it your own so i would say that there are as much opportunities as games are and, and as production companies are you will always have as one-size-fits-all solution, because that's where uh, packages are. 3DS and Maya have one-size-fits-all modeling tools since <laughs> almost 30 years now. But you will always have opportunity to improve, and that's why you have Blender, and you have Modo, and you have a resurgence of CAD modeling tools, because those tools actually are more, even more specialized to a lot of the content right now. So, that's in that direction. you know, In the more general sense, you will always have, which is an uh, interest of mine, you will always have open world games. Like Fortnite is not necessarily an open world in the most uh, strict definition of the genre, but it's definitely a big world and it's going to get bigger. Like in two years from now, when they release the chapter three, when this particular map is weared down and they need something new, that map will be bigger and it will be order or magnitude bigger. So you need how to populate and to create that world in a way that satisfies your artists in terms of the creative input and output and how to uh, streamline your particular process. So there will always be opportunities uh, to have very specialized tools uh, or to create one size fits all tool that you can, via api or extension or just uh, pure uh, iteration you can make your own for your game in general that would be what i think it happens so it's an open-ended problem because you won't stop making games anytime soon so it's it depends on the on the on the project and the, even the company itself yeah yeah absolutely so do you see um that there is
0: um developing a focus on adapting and retooling things that have already been made
2: the main focus of houdini because and one of the positive thing of having houdini for games now is that that has been the focus of uh houdini since its inception in the 90s to be a bfx tool because For the very same reasons, Uh, uh, BFX boutique or BFX uh, companies have different uh, goals, different reaches, and different resources. So you need a tool that, okay, these are the basics. Uh, uh, We uh, provide you with the UI and a place to iterate, and you can basically using C++ or Python uh, nowadays, you can customize this because we know that one-side-fits-all doesn't exist, but you can scale this up or scale it down, depending on your pipeline and your goals as a BFX Boutique. That, because that in the case of Houdini, it has been developed the last basically three years. Now you have a, a, a software that with the same capabilities for games. So it is about now, if you have Python experience and you have, not being a mathematician, but if you have math interests, then you can start creating uh, custom tools inside Houdini that are not there, especially, for example, one is a tiny example to, to both, when we started using Houdini for their works in 2018, we watched, which was my first, um, uh, my, my first opportunity to do it in a production environment they were introducing Houdini 16 with the new terrain tools, which was our interest. But well, a lot of the nodes were missing. We needed a, 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 a lot of functionality to merge terrain, uh, to uh, to export terrain to Umbria, which wasn't a thing uh, in the way we needed it. And we need to splice terrain, and we need to name in conventions, and we need to put a lot of the uh, nuts and bolts that the technical artists need to take care of. And I did it for my artists back then in 2018. That's a tiny example, but it definitely shows that you can do it in Houdini. It's not surprising; it should be the case. And the fascinating thing is that by the by mid 2019, those tools were starting uh, to be um, uh, supported natively. So I didn't. The, the new people that is adopting Houdini right now don't need to go to to the lens that I went it wasn't that much anyway but they needed they don't need to spend the same time that I, I spent creating those basic stuff and that's evolving and that's the the the, the, the idea um if, uh, the idea is to project into the future to better tools in the same intuitive way uh, that I'm explaining um, and part- Houdini is particularly good at that in the sense that it has been the idea from its inception, for example.
1: Yeah, it definitely sounds as though it's kind of the technology and then the technical artists are almost enabling other aspects of production. So I'm just curious to know, how is technical art different to sort of the general art in production?
2: Technical art, the definition, which is insanely general, is to streamline the asset creation process. I do not create, and one of the things that I, that. in my experience, I have been doing to different degrees in, with different goals, especially he, uh, when I arrived uh, in France to their voice, is that I none of my work is actually seen in the game. Like there is not a single thing that you uh, that I can point at, oh, I made that thing. Uh is me trying to explain to my mom that I helped the artist to make the things that you are in the game. So uh, streamlining the asset process, uh, the, crea- the content creation process, is the main, is the most broadly definition of what a tech artist is. Basically, in more, let's say, mundane terms, we ask artists what you need, try to explain what, you, what your goal is, and we, we get you there in terms of, for example, that means sometimes, and most of the time, to be honest, Mundane stuff like I need a naming uh, a naming tool because naming is is increasing order and organization especially when you are using repositories and uh, version control stuff you need naming that makes sense but you probably have assets that weren't named correctly for various reasons so you need that tool that which is a a, a prime example of technical art you need that tool that lets you rename stuff either in Maya or either in Houdini or stuff like that. And you need that exporter. That's what I did for Houdini. Even though it was a very tiny uh, script in, in Python at the time, you need that exporter because if I made my artist click 20 times or 15 times to make an export uh, a terrain when I, with, a, with a script, I can make it in one click. And streamlining the stuff. And in the others, on the other, I wouldn't say extreme, but let's say the other group are the most shiny, luxury kind of research stuff of machine learning, how we can uh, streamline the, the terrain creation process with machine learning and um, other uh, procedural creation uh, uh, schemes or algorithms. So you are balancing between the mundane and very important problems. That uh, every each each um, company faces every day, and those problems or and those uh, solving those problems is what help you most of the time to ship a game. At the end, the most important thing is that you ship your game on time without uh, crunch and without uh, burning down your artists. But you need to see into the future and start doing okay. This mundane stuff will get you so far. At the mo- yeah. at the moment, we need some more looks. Lux- uh, let's say, uh, shiny stuff and more probably more uh, theoretical based stuff to see to the future. And we can probably implement it in a year for now. But that will increase, uh, and it will t- hopefully it will become uh, will become mundane, like in uh, because you put it in your library on Houdini or Substance Designer of what's happening now. A lot of the team, the technical art team inside SideFX, which is the company that creates Houdini, is including like that dumb example, that, that silly example of the exporter. They're including more and more uh, is a community-inspired uh, tools, uh, and that's the idea. That's what a technical yeah. art uh, is in general. Your- Absolutely.
0: Yeah, uh, and building on what you said about crunch times and all that like um, uh, you know very long hours of work and difficulty so we we've heard that during crunch time it's difficult for designers but also we've heard that it's great fun so from your perspective how is it like to work in the industry
2: is my perspective is really different for what probably the audience of your podcast could be because as size I come from Venezuela. I actually started late my journey in asset and creation because my background is in math. I actually have a bachelor in math and I work in statistics. I started my master's but couldn't uh, continue for personal reasons and I'm looking forward to do so. So I started started my, my journey, as I said, Kind of late in comparison to a lot of artists or technical artists that I have myself or I see myself working to. So, because of that, and because the fact that I was living in Venezuela and then in Colombia, where there is an industry, but is completely different than what the industry in the US, the UK, or the rest of Europe could be, that it paints a different picture of the opportunities and how to, you need to work. For instance, as much as I, uh, I enjoy it and I'm proud of everything that I did back in Venezuela, we were we we were working on an edge. Like we were working only with the bare bones of the resources we needed, and that's where having better tools that are cheap. That, are, for example, one thing that now that I mentioned, one thing that Houdini definitely improve is that Houdini's. For BFX it's definitely expensive, like it's a uh, hugely expensive software for good reason. Uh, But they have been improving their licensing deals, so now you have access uh, to an indie, what they call a a game indie license, for like a hundred bucks for people like me, and I bought that license, and that's a a huge help for developers because you don't need to access the seventy grants, the seven grants. Uh, BFX, full BFX uh, license of Houdini that only big picture companies have access to because you don't need it initially. So talking about my experience is about overcoming a lot of odds in terms of the circumstances, the resources. And that's not necessarily a thing that a lot of people see or face in Europe because uh, the situation, the political stage, and the socioeconomic situation are completely different, even in Colombia, uh, but more, uh, moreover in Venezuela. So that's where you see another phase of why we need tools that makes the stream or the streamlines the iteration process more, because you probably won't have theory, not, not even 20 people strong to uh, teams. Even in Colombia, because Colombia, socioeconomically speaking, is a lot better, is one of the, the, the growing countries in Latin America. But even then, finding I work in a company in Bogotá that right now have like a three something team, but that's after almost fifteen years of industry experience, working alongside uh, bigs in the industry, and they are definitely an exception. Uh, the teams that I work in Colombia. Where I was freelancing a lot of uh, visual uh, architectural visualization. And we were like three or four for big projects. And that's where Houdini, and Susan Designer, uh, lets you come in, um, let's say, kind of sandos problems because you have a tool that lets you amplify your, your resources. And that's where it's important to point out the utility and the how important are those tools in general not only for big companies where or for countries where making games could be easier in in in, in different ways but for the other part of the world that wants to make games that have talent that have uh, people in uh, enthusiastic people smart people and talented people but with other circumstances that's where in my experience the importance of these tools also, also relies
1: yeah, and that brings us really nicely onto to kind of our final question, which is how would you recommend for someone really, really interested in this industry getting started and then kind of progressing through it?
2: It definitely depends on your background and what you want to be. Like, uh, first of all, we need more technical artists. So don't be afraid of uh, if you, are, you come from an art background. Don't be afraid of taking a book or reading a book of linear linear algebra, which you you will need, or uh, taking your first step on creating HLSL or GLSL codes. You can visit this web page called Shader Toy, where there is basically a GLSL uh, library of shaders that you can learn from people, very talented people. Uh, Don't be afraid of doing some math uh, because that can, Give you uh, that can give you the tool to go far in the industry. We, the reason I was brought from Colombia to Paris is because the 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 competition for technical artists is so fierce that they don't have technical artists here. They don't have. You will always have. You can get into link the LinkedIn and look for technical artists in France, and you will always have three, four, five different job posting because they need the streamliners. So I will recommend you to broaden your, your in general, talking from a tech art experience, to broaden your horizons. Um, OK, you need to, you probably have a portfolio in terms of asset creation, environment creation. Now, I'll start to think like a tech artist and try to, if I need to put this to make this possible for another artist, how will I pull it? How will I create uh, uh, tools? And remember that Substance Designer and Houdini, you don't need to start right away with programming. You can just have a very systematic mind, but using only notes inside Houdini and Substance Designer, you can still create useful things for artists to use. That's very important. Uh, Broaden your audience. like. We have, I don't have anything against concept artists, for example, but for some reason, everyone wants to be a concept artist. And I I know why, because it's fancy, people get famous being concept artists. Uh, But believe me when I say that uh, if you are an environment artist, and if you are a concept artist, you are competing in an overcrowded uh, environment. Like your chances, you need to be really good. And I trust people to get really good. But there is no reason to, to step on in the industry with such a high bar. You can train yourself a bit in technical art, in GL cell creation. You will probably you will probably find that you like it by being an environment artist. We need technical art is getting into a point where it's started to be more specialized. Like I call myself an environment technical art, but you have technical animator which is a technical, uh, technical art for animation. It's the people that do rigging, people that put animations into the engine, and people that optimize animation for uh, for games. We, there are even less of those in the, comp- in the industry. So you can train yourself in rigging. It's a bit more challenging, but definitely that will land you a job. Like people are crying, the companies. I am bound to start with Creative Assembly soon. And the amount of effort they put to find technical animators is so big because and the comp, uh, uh, um, the competition to find people in that area is really hard because it's a very specific thing that people need anyway because animation, you need animation for 3D. And in, you can specialize then in, for example, in mock-up uh, anim- uh, technical art Is it, that's still technical animation but more on, on the mock-up side of stuff. 10 years ago recommending people to do to study mock-up could have been a bad idea because it was expensive but right now there are ways to learn even if you don't have the mock-up itself like the mock-up equipment there are ways to learn cheaply how to do so and BFX artist. Uh, there is another part of technical art that we call BFX artists. Those are technical artists that do BFX, that do simulation, including to export and import into the game, and do particle stuff inside whatever engine you are uh, working—Unity, Unreal, or your or your engine—and uh, they do fire and they do explosions and they do fire um, uh, squips, sweeps and they do. They understand the optimization and the constraints of game. BFX artists are a little bit more, uh, let's say there are more BFX artists than technical artists in, uh, in general, but they are still very needed. Like if you have a 30 second, 40 second portfolio of very good effects in Unreal, you are probably getting a job even in freelance. Uh, so try to be smart in the, in the most sense. And try to see where you fit in, other than the the, the most offered, uh, the most uh, where the most offered are, or, uh, which are basically concept artists, environment artists, and character artists. I love those guys in general, and we need those guys. But there are the the field is overcrowded. Games we need the the workers. Technical artists are basically blue collar workers because nothing of. of Uh, of what we do is largely appreciated. Of course, showing your character or your piece of art in your portfolio is uh, is shiny. Uh, Talking about technical art is a little bit more difficult, but you need technical art and the chances of you getting a job even in the entry level as a technical artist are way higher. So that would be my my advice in general, just broaden your, your scope a bit and try to find where you fit in one of those areas that people are desperately needed.
1: That sounds like really, really good advice. And I think that quite nicely uh, wraps us up for today. So thank you again, Julian, for joining us.
2: No, thank you for the invitation. I hope uh, we keep contact. Uh, I hope that this helps you and whatever is whoever is listening to this. Uh, I think that the procedural and the let's say, uh, algorithm-assisted assist, uh, uh, asset creation is just the, uh, just only beginning right now. So there is a lot to do. There is a huge amount of progress that can be done. And we are in an era where you can do that in an iPad. So uh, it's just uh, blooming right now to me.
1: Absolutely. And once again, so Julian is a senior technical artist and mathematician with seven years of experience in real-time applications focused on creating shaders and tools for artists to improve their pipeline with a special focus on Unreal Engine using the capabilities of that engine as well as Houdini, Substance Suite and Maya. Thank you.
0: If you'd like to learn more about what we do at Kadim, visit our website at www.kadim.com or follow us on our LinkedIn page.